Welcome back again, my friends, to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the Catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the church are also intense moments of catechesis. That's how it was in the history of the church when things were down, when things were needed, a little refreshment. They just got more serious about teaching. That's just what they did. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing now, because I believe we could use some renewal. I believe it. That is uh, a very easy thing to observe. And I think we're seeing it in a lot of ways, but the, but really the places that are, are being able to encounter Christ more profoundly and being able to nourish their roots more profoundly in Christ and in the Trinity are those who are able to expose themselves to more time in catechesis, not just the initial exposure to the Lord in to come to faith, but to deepen themselves in faith. Uh, you know, there's a huge difference between Someone who's like, yeah, I, I believe in Christ and the saint. <laughs> There's just a huge difference. That's what I'm doing here. So anyways, that's a little longer intro than normal, at least on the commentary on what we're doing here. This is round number five in these simple teachings of the revealed God. I'm a little slow limping along these days um, just because it's it's summertime. I'm hiring someone. I'm kind of reevaluating our high school program, which didn't really exist, but it will soon exist. Middle school. I don't even know if I'd call it a middle school program before we, I'm very thankful for our catechists who sat in the classrooms with middle schoolers, but they need more than just sitting in the classroom. They don't, I don't think that it was really working too much. And then just kind of tweaking some of our family faith formation things, trying to figure out the best way to, to move forward and to help our families, our parents, our, our folks to, to flourish, our children to flourish uh, you know, one of the things that we'll probably end up doing also is having all that stuff on Wednesday, except for the high school group. And but that Wednesday being kind of like game time, having like even like adult Bible studies there and having several hours of adoration. I don't think my parishioners are aware that that's the plan, but hey, that's the plan. Um, we're still a little ways out. Got to put together uh, a team of folks to to be able to commit to being there with the Lord during that time. But I'm excited. I think we'll be able to find some of those people. Um, just, I mean, just imagine everyone's there. There's the hustle and bustle. There's stuff going on. But at the heart of it all is Eucharistic adoration. Just boom. There with the the beating of the heart of the Lord right there. And everyone's around it, surrounding it, gathering around it. Maybe popping in for a visit before. Maybe popping in for a visit after. Maybe the classes are going there for a quick little uh, Jesus break. Uh, I'm just so excited. It's going to be so dang good. Just finding different ways to care for the different pastoral needs that are, that are here, that are here. So should be good. Uh, but it's been a big project. So I've been a little bit distracted. Very good. So this is the sixth round of our simple teachings of the real God. Number six here, we're going to dive into Jesus as the logos. I'm pretty excited about this in all honesty. Uh, this is just a real important part of who Jesus is. Yeah, we encounter him personally, maybe experientially, uh, personal relationship. But this personal relationship is so much more dynamic because he is the divine logos and he is the one who stitched together the the framework of creation are the very design of humanity he is there holding that framework holding that design together it's kind of like a, a a shirt you know there's a lot of threads there and 
normally we don't think of you got to hold those threads together but if you think about if you unwind a seam well it begins to lose its thread and the our we're our personal relationship with Jesus is so personal. It's not just in our experience, but it's so much more deeper. And he is personally holding us in existence and, and establishing and maintaining our soul and the depths of who we are. So, so cool. Anyways, that's a way, that's, that's a deep dive before we get into the deep dive here today. All right, my friends. So let's begin here with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, all praise and honor and glory be to you. We, we love you, Lord. Uh, dear Jesus, word made flesh, divine splendor of the Father. Oh, help us to hold on to you. Help us to appreciate you and see your workings, even if we can't experience it, but trust that you are there holding us in being and lifting us to yourself, close to your heart and bring us to the Father. Come Holy Spirit, help us to lend our hearts and minds and help them to be open to receive your word. Uh, open my lips, particularly to be able to share this divine word. We ask this in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Very good, very good. Um, so as we get into this theme here of, of logos, Jesus as the logos, there's some other things I want to mention that are just really great parts of our faith. I love, love our faith. I love our our intellectual tradition that we have in the Catholic Church is really, really something awesome. You know, it's not like someone woke up in the year 1500, in the year 1900, in the year 2023 and have to recreate, you know, theology. <laughs> no, we, we're, we're sitting on the shoulders of giants and that's so cool, so cool. I mean, who is not inspired by hearing some of these great stories of the saints from the ancient church fathers? They got awesome stories, but they also wrote some really profound theology to to digest this original this original revelation who that is to say Jesus. So I love our intellectual tradition, all the saints, all the fathers, all the theologians of yesterday and today. Uh, I also love that our faith is actually understandable. We're able to have an intellectual tradition because we can wrap our intellect around the truth of who God is not perfectly, not, you know, we're limited and God is unlimited. So it's not, not like we can understand him perfectly, but he is perfectly understandable. He's intelligible. That's a fancy word there in God. There are no contradictions. Yeah. We say that there are mysteries of faith, but we don't say they're illogical. We don't even say that you can't know them. We say that you can know them. Maybe not perfectly, but you can wrap your mind around elements of it. Maybe someone's got this element of it and you got this element of it. And everyone's got a different, different experience, different mind, uh, different experience of wrapping their mind around a singular truth of, of one of these mysteries. But even then it's, it's still so far beyond us, but in heaven, we'll be able to know God, uh, because he will perfectly reveal himself. Uh, not through signs and figures, but as he is. That's going to be amazing. I'm ready to be there now. So these things I mentioned, the intellectual tradition and our faith being understandable, I say that these are the things that I love about the faith, among other things, but these are some key things that I think are just super awesome. We can have an intellectual tradition and we can know that tradition. We can know who God is. And this is because of the Logos. 
the logos, the logos. So this is a, a Greek word. It's pretty big. We hear it in the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the logos, the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. All things came to be through him. Uh, before we get into kind of conclusions that, you know, what the heck is the logos? Well, like as a word, you know, because it was a common word. It wasn't like a, a specific technical theological word. It kind of is nowadays. Uh, we're going to unwrap that so it's not quite so technical, but it's undeniably a theological word. Uh, because just this, our sense of word doesn't have the same meaning, even though in many ways it does, but we don't think about it too often. Word, act of speaking. It's an accounting. You, you, you maybe have a, give me that word. You know, I want to hear that story. It's a reason. There's meaning. Uh, a word that is a preaching, a discourse. It's a word, you know, it means all these different things. This is what also it carries in the Greek. It, it's an accounting, it's meaning, blah, 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 blah. So in the beginning was the word and the word was God, with God, and the word was God, all things to be came to be through him. This jump forward into the, still in the first chapter of John, but verse 14, and the word became flesh. Game changer moment right there. Game changing moment. Boom. Now, in the Gospel of John, you know, this didn't come out of nowhere. It did not come out of nowhere. There's a Hebrew Jewish tradition. They also had an intellectual tradition that is significant. And Jesus fulfills that. He fulfills that. So let's not ignore that. And I really want to highlight two elements of this. So the first part is, let's say the Greek word for word is logos. And the Hebrew word is dabar, dabar. A little Hebrew there for you, for y'all, all you uh, linguists out there. I don't know if there are any, but Dabar is often associated. It brings, well, the Hebrew people, they use it in just an average way. It's a very common word, word, you know, he, he, he spoke a word to them. But it also has a more of a relational side. I give you my word. So we have it in English as well, but that really comes through in the Hebrew. I give you my word. It's a sense of trust. There's a promise. It's fidelity. There's commitment there. So it's a real relational element. It's dynamic. It's an active communication of God's purpose and plan. And uh, just to give you a few Bible verses about this, let's say uh, Psalm 119. It has this repeated a few times. I'll just hit on one of these. Then this is 119 verse 42. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. So he's being persecuted. For I trust in your word. He doesn't spell out what that word was, but it was a promise. I trust in your word. I trust in your commitment to me. I trust in your, your fidelity to me. I trust you're not going to leave me high and dry. I might be feeling persecuted now. He's taunting me. These people are taunting me. But I trust in you. Um, I guess I'll give you a quick little look through some of the other occasions in Psalm 119. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word, your debar. It's, it, I, it's, it's a solid rock. You can hope on it. It's not going to be shaken. And again, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Uh, we hear this in Proverbs. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Uh, also, and Isaiah, this is personally, this is a very profound verse, not because of this word, because of the whole 
verse here. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. So shall my debar be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the things for which I send. And he's comparing this with the rain that falls in the mountains and it comes down to the, the, the dry or the lowland. It's always coming down the mountain. It's incredible. It can be a drought, but the water is generally still flowing. You know, creeks dry up, but the river flows. It's pretty awesome. And that is the guarantee of the word that goes forth from the mouth of God. So shall my word, my debar be that goes out from my mouth. So just a little, little snapshot there of, of that, of that background of what the word really was in the Hebrew tradition. It was, it was a commitment. It was fidelity. It was, it was the hope of a promise and so it was a little, little dynamic, uh, very relational. Uh, God has a plan and he's going to carry out his plan. You can count on it. The second important piece of the background here that I want to highlight is the wisdom literature. It'd be really cool maybe to do a Bible study, a uh, little Bible commentary on some of the wisdom literature. It's, it's super great. And our poor Protestant brothers and sisters, they get a bit of it, but they, they miss a lot of it. Uh, there is a you know, it's fascinating. I know of two people who come into the church here down in Poto, Poto in the area, and both of them were highly, highly taken by some of the wisdom literature. There's a husband and wife. They started reading the wisdom literature um, just out of curiosity. You know, what's what's uh, what's not in the Bible that maybe is in the Bible? And they read it and they're like, whoa, 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 that's super cool. Uh, another young lady I know, uh, she found out that it was in the Bible for, you know, 1,500 years, ever since they established the Bible until the Protestants chose not to include it. And that was for her just kind of a big wake up. Actually, I'm thinking of a third person. This is incredible. Uh, um, you know, there's, it's, it's just, it's a big deal. The wisdom literature is awesome. And not just having half part of it, but having a lot of it. So anyways, the wisdom literature. The cool thing about this is so often the wisdom is personified. It's lady wisdom, Ida a priest mentor in the seminary. Oh, he loved, 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 loved Lady Wisdom. Sometimes it's like, you love her an awful lot. This is kind of just weird, man. But but he just loved wisdom. He just loved wisdom. And, and he felt like the wisdom was was pursuing him, was hunting him down. And and he really uh, was was taken by that. Um, multiple homilies that he gave were, were based on Lady Wisdom and, and other meditations that I was around to hear. So Lady Wisdom personified wisdom. Uh, it's part of the logic of the universe. It's part of the logic of who we are. It's, it's part of our, our design. So it's part of the, so this, this wisdom is present in it's the parts of the universe, but it's also present in the whole of the universe. It's in the parts, it's in the whole. So this is the background that leads us to the beginning of the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So a number of comments just on that little bit right there. In the beginning was the word. So the big the word was there from the beginning. We're going to talk on what that, that means. The kind of the creative nature of the word. The word creates. The word creates. And is part of our all the creation. Also, the word was with God and the word was God. So it's there's a sense that there is unity with God, but there's also alongsidedness with God. There is he the word is 
distinct from God, but also totally united with God. If you think about in the creed, this can shed a little light on this. Light from light. What do we say? I believe in God the Father, my Jesus Christ, only by God the Son, who is the Lord. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. So we kind of say, okay, we're admitting that he's God, this Logos, Jesus character, but also we're we're also saying there's a distinction there, light from light. So they both, there's a, there's a, there's a total perfect unity that makes the logos God, but there's also some kind of a distinction. And with theology, we already talked about the Trinity. We, we recognize that, oh, there are two divine persons. In fact, three in the divinity. And so they all share in the divinity, but they're also um, side by side in a relationship. It is the unique relationship that gives them um, distinction, not separation, but distinction. And they're distinct in their purpose persons is who God is. So we hear that right there at the beginning. We hear that God was there in the, be the beginning of creation, but we also, he was with God, but he was also God. So pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. So let's talk about the word and creation, creative logos, creative reason. We jump back to Genesis. God was there and he created through the word. Let there be light. That was the first words of God. And they were so significant and powerful that there was light. It, it happened. There was creation. It was real. And and that is the Logos. That is the Logos. The Father spoke the Logos. The Father spoke the Word. Really, he spoke it eternally. But in this moment, he spoke it out loud into creation, and creation began to exist. So, it's, and it communicates himself. So, you know, I've talked about this previously. That which creates is like, gives its resemblance to the creature. Um, if you're an artist, I can learn something from you by your work. You know, if, you know, this is what, you know, psychologists do with kids. They see what they're drawing. They're like, uh, uh-huh. Mm -hmm, oh, mm, oh, yikes. Okay. I don't know. But, uh, they get a sense of what's going on in the interior life of the child based on, on their, their drawing, on their art, on their creation. And we can also do the same thing with God because it was it's stamped. The, the logos was stamped into creation. It was stamped into creation. The world, creation, has order. It has meaning. Those are some dimensions of, of what the word logos is, is providing. It has meaning. It, it's an order. Biology. Biolo, bio, the first part is life. And then logi comes from logos. So it's like the order of life. And we can discern that the meaning of the meaning of life but the order of life um all these different ologies that we have geology is the study of the earth it's the, the ordering of the earth etc and so at the beginning god spoke but we we hear this also with the the hebrew hebraic tradition that there is a, a real personal commitment uh, it's trustworthy in the beginning god spoke the word in time and there was creation but it's almost like because of what the word debar means and certainly logos full brings that connotation to the new testament it would mean that god spoke in the beginning was god's commitment in the beginning was god's promise of fidelity uh, something that is 
truly worth hoping in. Um, God didn't create it and abandon the world. No, God created it and is walking with the world. Beautiful, beautiful. So the word is eternal. The word is eternal. He was with God. He was God. Um, it's fascinating. So before creation, he was unknown because there's no one else to know him besides Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, with creation, he is partially known and partially unknown. Partially known and partially unknown. He's partially known because creation had a certain sense to it. It was it was people recognized there was something profound going on in the creation. And not having the fullness of this, they messed up. They erred and they thought that they needed to worship the tree, the sky, the sun, the stars, the moon, the water. All these different things. So they got cre they got mixed up as they were discerning the significance, the meaning, the power that was in creation, the 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 imprint of the logos that's in creation, but not having the full package in their brain, you know, they missed the boat. <laughs> and so he is partially known and he's partially hidden. The partially hidden part actually concluded. Uh, there was a time period where he was very unknown, but he revealed himself. The word became flesh. This is so cool. So this is big transition part point in the history of all of everything in creation that the creator decides to step into his creation through the word in which he made the universe. Uh, the church fathers, I can't find exactly who said this, but someone said, God made his word short. He abbreviated it, which is kind of cool, which is kind of cool. Um, I've even heard that it was, I think that's a translation from the Greek version of the Old Testament, from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. God made his word short. He abbreviated it. I checked the Hebrew and I was like, yeah, it's, it's not really there. I don't quite get it. But it had some kind of parallels found in Isaiah. So God made his word short. He abbreviated. He, he spoke it into a, a little package here. He took the eternal reality of the Logos and he wrapped it up into a little abbreviation of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And the word was made flesh. Um, the, you know, John talks about this in his first letter as well, but fleshes this out more because in the gospel, he says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then he kind of spells out what it looked like, but he doesn't really highlight just the physicality of this, but he does later on in his letter. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerns the logos of life, the word of life. For life was made visible. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaim it to you. I just love that. I love, love, love the first letter of John. It's probably my favorite. If I'm honest, there's some confusing parts I don't really understand, but it's super cool. There's some great, 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 great elements of it. So the inaccessible, even though partially known, but very partially known, the inaccessible made himself accessible. Meaning has become flesh. God's commitment to humanity has become flesh. The word that was uttered from all eternity, the word that brought forth creation is now bringing forth a recreation by entering into the world that he created. 
So when the word was first spoken in time, we had creation. When he spoke in time, there's recreation, salvation, restoration. Isn't that beautiful? Creation was fooled by a recreation, a renewal of that original creation that had fallen. Father, the Father spoke his Son eternally. And not even merely eternally. Now it's even temporally in time, humanly. It's just crazy. It's hard to understand. I don't get it. But this is something that we believe. It's one, it's impossible to understand on one hand, but yet we totally easily understand it. Jesus has an eternal side to him. And when he took on flesh, he accepts a historical side to himself. And that's super cool. And it's the same logos that has the eternal side and the temporal human side. Super cool. And it's spoken to us. Um, the word is spoken to us. Here I am, he says. You know, here I am. I love it. So we got some different things that I'll kind of summarize here. I got five, six, six points here. The first is the most practical. The practically speaking, practically speaking, is what Jesus does. So <laughs> he is. He's the word. And that word was addressed to us. To us. So if if the Father speaks his word to us, that means that we, in the very essence of our being, are hearers of the word hearers of the word. St. Paul says faith comes from hearing. So often we need to have that, that voice spoken to us. I am yours. You are mine. I love you. I have a plan for your life. You know, whatever it is, I forgive you. We, we have to have those words spoken to us. We have to hear that. We have to hear that. Why? Because we are in our essence, in our essence, hearers of the word. And why are we hearers of the word? Because the word was spoken to us and we have to be hearers. Otherwise, it, we will not be able to engage with that meaning and, and be without that meaning forever. Let's not let that happen. So there's the creative word who recreates us. We are hearers, listeners of that word. So spend some time every day in scripture. Don't just talk with God. Let God talk with you. Hear those words. Meditate on those words. Chew on those words. This is super practical here. The word became flesh. So so listen to the word <laughs> made flesh. No, don't let that, that word flow over you. Uh, the second, second is similar. We are created wisely. We are created with this reason, with this logos, with this ordering. But we have a rational ordering. Um, and following that order is going to lead to the conclusion of that order because we're, our different elements of our being have a certain focus. They're ordered towards something. And if we follow that order, we will arrive at something. We will arrive at fulfillment. We will arrive at flourishing. We will arrive at happiness. Ultimately, we will arrive at Communion with the divine trinity in peace, love, and goodness. Oh, so good. So following this ordering, it actually is a science and it's called ethics, morality. Um, kind of connecting with this is the Ten Commandments. A lot of times they were called the Ten Logos, the Decalogue, the Decalogue. I don't know if you ever heard of the Ten Commandments called the Decalogue, but it's Deca is the Greek word for ten, Log is short for logos logos so these are 10 keys for ordering 
our life towards human flourishing. 10 keys for ordering society for, for flourishing. And obviously our, our lives are wounded, beat up, bruised. We need forgiveness. And so none of this is possible without Jesus. The Logos, who fulfills the 10 little words, the 10 moral words, the 10 Logos. Logoi. Uh, thirdly, the meaning of the universe is Jesus Christ. He is meaning itself. I want to talk about the story of St. Justin Martyr. Uh, from the early church, you know, he's writing in the second century, in the 100s, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since I looked at that, but I think that's correct. And he goes on to be one of the great apologists, defenders of the faith in the early church there. However, first, he, he had to come on his own journey. He had to go along on his own journey. And that journey began with a good education. He studied philosophy and he had this deep hunger for meaning. What was really true? What, what had sense to it? And he was going around talking. Well, he's like, well, this philosophy prioritized pleasure. That's eh, not right. I mean, pleasure's good. They're on to something, but they're missing an awful lot too. This group over here is highlighting, uh, you know, another dimension. Uh, this group over here is hiding another dimension of the truth, but they're just partial truths, and he's looking for the whole thing. And so finally, he finds exposure to the prophets. He's exposed to the prophets, and through them comes to Jesus Christ. And he's like, oh, wait, me as a professional philosopher, my job is done. I have found the meaning of life. This is awesome. And so he recognizes that religion is rational. It makes sense. It is good. It is important. It is essential. Uh, God is reason. God is meaning. And he put traces of himself in here. And when we observe reality and we come to know God, there's a click there. It's like, ah, ah, aha, I get it. This is true. This is true. This revelation that I've heard of is true because it matches what I know of reality, what I know of myself, what I know of the world, etc. And so for him... He had to go through a long process to come to this faith, but we also learn from him, faith gives us a shortcut to the truth. Faith gives us a shortcut to meaning. We don't have to think through all the philosophy. We just have to know Jesus and believe and love. Number four. Number four. Uh, all these are very practical conclusions here, which is super kind of fun. The word becoming flesh and religion being oriented around the word or truth or order or logic, it means that all things that are true should be welcomed by those who follow the religion of the Logos. If we believe in the one true Logos established as church, us in that church should recognize all the little traces of that Logos everywhere. Um, if there's a good set of culture, if there's a true set of culture, we want that for our church. If there's a good set of philosophy, a trueness in philosophy, we want that. If there's a trueness in art, we want that. So we absorb all that is true, all that is good, all that is beautiful. And why? Because Jesus is Logos. Jesus is the truth. He's the fulfillment of all of that. And all these other things are little radiances that come from the truth. And so they're going to be good. So that's the fourth practical conclusion. Number five is that we can have peace without knowing 
all the details. Like I said before, yes, there are mysteries. There are mysteries, and we can't know them with our limited mind. Why do some follow Christ and others don't? Why is there suffering? Uh, how does a death give us life? Think about Jesus. You know, these are some profound questions, but we don't have to know the answer. We can dive into it. It doesn't hurt us. And I think we really should, but at the same hand, we can have peace knowing that there is an answer. We might not know it, but there is an answer. These questions have an answer and these answers are ultimately very reasonable, most reasonable. And so we can trust in God. We can trust in God. The sixth and final practical conclusion is the mystery is also lovable. <laughs> yeah, meaning, truth, order, uh, science even, all becomes enfleshed in Jesus Christ. He's knowable. He's lovable. As we pursue knowledge, we pursue the love of Jesus Christ. And that is the height of all knowledge, of knowing, of all wisdom, of all understanding, to know and to love Jesus Christ. Uh, like the psalm says, seek his face. Before Jesus came to the world, there was no face of God, and it was meant only metaphorically. But then Jesus took his face, and we are to know his face and to seek his face and to love his face. Uh, theology, that's what theology is. It's faith-seeking understanding. It's its that pursuit of love. Like, okay, I believe this, and I want more. I want to understand what I know. It's kind of like you get married to someone, and you're like, man, know the person perfectly now. It's like, well, you don't know what this person looks like when they're having a, a baby, when they're when they're the first, first time they're a father, when the first time they send their kid off to college, and you know, all these different things, the first time they get fired from a job, you don't know that person until you see how they respond. And, and you want to get to know that person more because you love them. And that's how it is with Jesus. Seek his face. We want to know Jesus. And so we enter into this pursuit that we call theology. And we dive into this intellectual tradition that the church has has passed down. Not to say we should be proud about it, like, I know God now. I've got him in a bubble. I've figured it out. If you know who God is, you don't know God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God is God is so dynamic, so so far beyond us. But we still can know God, just not totally perfectly. So the pursuit goes on, the theological pursuit goes on. And that's one of the reasons why I love doing these podcasts. And I want to thank you for tuning in, share it with one of your friends or all of your friends. Those are your two options. Uh, leave a review. Only five stars will be acceptable and uh, peace be with you. Please pray for me. I'm counting on you to pray for me because Lord knows I do need it. I love being a priest. I love being a follower of the Lord, and I look forward to many more years doing so. Praise God. And may Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Adios, amigos. Bye.